Well, today, as you know, is the last day of Sunday school for the 21-22 school year. And it's a special day at Grace Commons because of these people wearing Team Kids t-shirts. We're going to honor and thank the teachers for the great job that they have done all year at sharing the love of Jesus and helping you understand what God wants us to know in the Bible. So here's a question for you kids. If we add up all the years that these men and women have been teaching Sunday school, what do you think the number might be? Okay. 20, okay, anyone else? We gotta go higher, okay? Keep going. That's good. It, the answer is 244 years. Woo! That's, we call that faithfulness. Faithfulness, okay? I want to introduce some of our leaders. Bob and Lynn Harlow. Where are Bob and Lynn Harlow? Right here. 20 years each. 20 years each. Mark Matheson, where's Mark? Mark Matheson, stand up, Mark. 22 years. Bob and Barb Allen, are you here, Bob and Barb? Stand up. 23 years each. And we have some people that, uh, Lisa Shoney, I think, is in Italy right now having fun. 31 years of teaching. And then Jeanette Kneebone, is Jeanette here? Stand up, Jeanette. She started teaching when she was an infant, no, when she was 11, 55 years of teaching our kids. So, do any of you leaders want to tell us what keeps you coming back for all those years? The paycheck. The paycheck, okay. They pointed to all of you young disciples. You bring so much joy into their lives, it's a privilege to come alongside you each Sunday in Sunday school. And we are so blessed by God, aren't we, to be blessed with this group of Sunday school teachers. Would any of you like to, uh, do we have a microphone? Shirley, come on over here, please. Because I wanna see if any of the kids wanna say thank you to their teachers. Anybody, okay? Okay. Wow. Anybody else want to say a thank you to your teacher? This is this is a microphone. Anybody want to get the mic? One more? Anybody? Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to ask all of you to stand up. All of you out there. Yep. Yep. No, you can stay, you can stay seated. And, and I wanna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna script you. I want you to say in unison two words, thank you, ready? Thank you. Thank you to all of you. And let's now, let's now thank the Lord for our Sunday school teachers. Let's pray together. 
God, we are so grateful for uh, our young disciples, for each of them fearfully and wonderfully made by you. And we thank you for these uh, men and women who have come alongside generations of young disciples at Grace Commons. We pray your blessing on them. Give them deep rest this summer. And Lord, continue to fill them with your joy as they serve alongside our staff and alongside these young men and women that we call young disciples. And now we pray that you bless them as they go to their classrooms as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. You get to go to class now and have your Sunday school. Well, good morning, Grace Commons, and good morning to all of you who are tuning in with us online today. We are in a series of sermons this month and ever since Easter Sunday called Close Encounters with Jesus, and today we're going to turn to one of the most challenging passages in the whole Bible, I think. Uh, at the end of chapter 7 of Mark. And it's, I'll give you the title, Jesus Loves Dogs. Now that was, that, that should have really hit the cutting room floor. Here's the, here's the more polite title. Jesus Honors a Syrophoenician Woman's Faith. So in chapter 7 of Mark, Jesus is, encounters this remarkable woman. This begins a section in Mark where Jesus has left behind the crowds and he's gone off into the wilderness with his disciples to teach them, to mentor them, to prepare them, to begin the process of preparing them for his departure. And this comes immediately after a confrontation that Jesus has with the Pharisees, including some that had come down from Jerusalem. And in that confrontation, Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah and says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He goes on to talk about what makes a person's heart pure, clean towards God. It's not external religious rituals which the Pharisees love, the washing of cups and hands. It's a deep inner transformation of the heart, Jesus says. You see, Jesus knows that the leaven of the Pharisees, their pride, their prejudice against the Gentiles, against foreigners, is also a problem in the 12 men, the leaders of the new Israel that he is pouring his life into. So he takes those men on a journey 40 miles northwest of Capernaum to Tyre, a city in Phoenicia, deep in the heart of Gentile country. So let's pick up the story there. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia, 
She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, Jesus told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And then he told her, for such a reply you may go. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Well, how do you respond to this close encounter that Jesus has with the Syrophoenician woman? I can think back to my freshman year at the University of California, Berkeley. I had joined a fraternity because I knew that that would be a place where I wouldn't have to encounter any Christians. But God had a sense of humor. My roommate was a young life leader at a local high school, and he had been challenged to have someone in his life that he could share the gospel with, and that was me. And so he encouraged me, he said he can read any of my books. He was very gentle initially. He got a little more assertive as the semester went on. But he encouraged me, after a while, to just read the Gospels. I started with Mark, and then I got to chapter 7, and I was appalled. What is Jesus saying to this woman? Well, let's see if we can figure it out together. Let's look first at her request in verses 25 and 26. She asks Jesus to cast out a demon. She comes to Jesus because she has a desperate need. Her beloved daughter is possessed by an evil spirit. Mark uses an unusual phrase here. He calls the woman's daughter a little daughter. And that just means one who is very dear, very precious to her. In Matthew 15, which is the parallel passage, the woman tells Jesus that her daughter suffers terribly. So the mother is suffering on behalf of her daughter, the one she loves, and that's what love does. When we love someone, we feel their pain. We would rather suffer than see our beloved suffer. I can vividly remember 35 years ago when our son Alex had to go in for surgery because his tear ducts were blocked. He was one years old. The doctor had told us, this is a routine surgery, but I didn't think it was routine. <laughs> I looked at our son's face as they wheeled him to the operating room, and it was full of fear. And why are you allowing these people all masked up to take me away? And Carrie and I cried as we waited to hear what happened. Our hearts hurt. And that was for a routine tear duct surgery. This woman... Her daughter was possessed by a demon. And so she begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. She wasn't too ashamed to beg. This is earnest, desperate, humble prayer. She doesn't come to Jesus proudly demanding justice as if God owed her something. She sees herself as wholly undeserving. She comes with great humility, asking only for mercy. And I believe that her example is recorded for us in Mark and in Matthew 
as a model for how we should approach Jesus in prayer, in humility. That's what we can learn. You see, as sinful human beings, we are naturally proud. As Americans, we are proud. Fill in the blank for whatever else contributes to your pride. Could be your lineage, your job, your house, your car, your achievements, your degrees, your athletic ability. That's not mine. All of these things irrationally contribute to our pride. And I say irrationally because often we inflate all of our achievements in our own minds. But even if we have achievements, who gave them to us? What do we have that God has not given to us? St. Augustine, the great church father, said, for those who would learn God's ways, humility is the first thing. Humility is the second thing. Humility is the third thing. When I was in seminary, I had a wonderful professor from Croatia who had grown up in that war-torn country. And he came in his first year as this brilliant young systematic theologian. His name is Miroslav Volf. He now teaches at Yale University Divinity School. Miroslav writes, humility is a signature virtue of the Christian faith, and joy is its signature emotion. Humility, he says, births joy because it rescues us from endless recriminations and allows us to see goodness in ourselves and in the world as a gift to be received and celebrated. I can add that it also teaches us to find our common humanity with one another. We are challenged by Jesus to learn humility. It is a fruit of the Spirit that God longs for us to have in our lives. Back to our text. Notice that Jesus first denies her request. In Matthew, it's even stronger. It says, Jesus did not answer a word. As Martin Luther commented, Jesus here is silent as stone. But the woman persists in her pleading. So Jesus goes on and says, first let the children eat all they want, for it is not right to take the children's bread and feed it to the dogs. Wow. We got to figure this out, folks. What in the world is Jesus saying? Well, two things I think are happening. First, he is simply stating a fact. He came first for the Jews. In fact, in Matthew, it's even clearer. Jesus says he'd been sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But when he says this, it does not mean that God has a plan of salvation only for the Jews. God had a plan for the Gentiles too. The plan was that the chosen people would be a blessing to the nations. But they had failed. They had developed a horrible prejudice against unclean Gentiles. So when God sent his one and only son to the world to be the savior of the world, yes, he was the Jewish Messiah, but he was the Jewish Messiah for the whole world. And second, Jesus says the bread is for the children, not for the dogs. 
Now he softens it a bit because the word in Greek is house dogs, you know, lap dog, kind of like our dog Pebbles. Not the wild dogs, the feral dogs that roam the streets. And yes, there's an element of truth here, and it is a less harsh term for dogs, but it's still an insult. What is Jesus doing insulting this woman who came to him begging? It doesn't make sense. Why does he do it? Well, I believe Jesus is addressing his disciples indirectly. Like all Jewish men, they had deep-seated religious and racial prejudice against Gentiles. Now this, as I said, is not taught in the Old Testament. Surely read for, for us Isaiah 56, which is just one of many passages that talk about God's heart for the nations, for the Gentiles. So of course Jesus is going to extend his compassion, his healing to this woman. He is the image of the invisible God. But he's addressing by this saying the hearts of the disciples. He had just told them to beware the leaven of the Pharisees. And so he's quoting this well-known Jewish proverb, let the children first be fed and then let the dogs eat. Let's see if we can go a little deeper in here. This is our grandson, Nolan, on his first birthday in a park in Spokane, Washington. And that is a giant, San Francisco Giants helmet, but it's really a cake. And you notice that he is really tackling it. Now, he has good parents. They didn't let him eat the whole cake, so you don't have to report them. But he did manage to make quite a mess and drop a bit of the cake on the ground. And it reminded me as I was, uh, do you ever do this? You're scrolling Facebook and you see a meme. Well, here's one. Here's a dog with the baby. When you're in your high chair, I expect at least 50% of all food to be dropped while still warm and not covered in baby slobber. Got it, Pinky? You see, here's the problem. When Nolan turned 18 months, right about that time, it was time for the dog, their dog, our, our grand dog, Norm, to go to the vet. And the vet weighed, that's what they always do first, they weigh the dog, and the vet said, have you, have you noticed the dog's put on weight? Two pounds, that's 10% of his body weight. Now, if your doctor said to you, you've gained 10% of your body weight, what would you think? You'd be horrified. It's not good for dogs. So the, do the vet is asking a few questions. So anything changed in your household recently? And my son says, well, we had a, our second child. Okay, what happens at dinner time? Well, he's a little messy, food drops on the floor. Bingo, they figured out that Norm was eating the children's food. Bad Norm. Nolan was the culprit. Norm was eating the cast-offs from Nolan's high chair. So I tell you that humorous story because I believe that Jesus is using a form of humor in order to teach his disciples 
and horrify them with this parable. The, the question is, does, we know that Jesus uses humor, but does he use satire? In fact, he does. And I encourage you to read the Gospels again and look for how he uses satire. He especially uses it later in the Gospels in order to reach the hardened Pharisees. So what's he trying to do here with his use of satire? Well, first, let's define satire. It's, quote, the use of irony, sarcasm, ridicule, or the like in exposing, denouncing, or deriding vice, folly, etc. Satire is a way human beings have developed over the centuries to expose foolishness and error and evil by saying the opposite of what the author really thinks in such a way that while claiming to support something, it makes it look ludicrous and thereby undermines the attitude or the activity. Jesus is using this well-known Jewish proverb that every Jewish boy, especially the men, would have learned. It's a horrible proverb. But satire has been around since ancient times. It's often used as a tool to poke fun at society's manners and morals with the goal of reforming them. And the goal of well-timed satire is to get people to recognize their own ridiculousness and to avoid it in the future. It's to shame them and to change. And Jesus uses several types of humor in the gospel. Sometimes he's soft or teasing, sometimes biting, sometimes it's obvious, sometimes it's subtle. But his humor is always perfect in its timing, it's culturally appropriate, and it's profoundly effective at delivering us a point. Now we know that he's using this satirically because the disciples worry about the adverse effect that Jesus' use of satire would have on the Pharisees. In Matthew, Matthew is very blunt, the tax collector. He says, do you know the Pharisees were offended by what you said? But Jesus doesn't apologize. He assures his disciples that he meant to offend the Pharisees. His goal is to uproot them from their sense of security in their own goodness and to challenge their pride. So let's go back to this encounter between Jesus and the woman. I think she sees the twinkle in Jesus' eye. And she plays along. She says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She joins in with Jesus and displays true humility and a powerful persistence. She cleverly responds to Jesus that even the dogs eat the children's crumbs. Even the dogs are still fed by the master. And so in a powerful and compassionate way, Jesus loves this woman. He honors her by using this form of humor with a woman. This is humor that you would only use with men in that culture. And of course, he heals her daughter. Jesus has a message for his disciples and for us today. He's using this example to teach us not only humility, but to persevere in prayer. 
He taught this same truth of perseverance in prayer using the parable of the persistent widow in Luke 18, which says, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and never give up. Luke 18, verse 2. Now, in that parable, the persistent widow is petitioning for justice. But this Syrophoenician woman is only pleading for mercy. She knows she does not deserve to have her little daughter healed by the Lord, but she appeals to the compassion that she sees in his eyes to do for her what she does not deserve. She is a clear example of a humble and persistent and earnest faith. You see, it takes true Holy Spirit-given humility to hear and live out the word that is given to us. And it takes even more humility to keep asking. So Jesus said, for such a reply, you may go, the demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying in the bed and the demon gone. God gives grace to the humble. Now Jesus sends her away with a word of assurance. He says, the demon has left your daughter. And I hadn't thought about this before I was working on the sermon this week, but that's another test of her faith. He doesn't go with her and put his hand on the daughter like he does with Jairus' daughter earlier in the Gospel of Mark. He doesn't heal her publicly. He simply says a word. Go. Your daughter has been made well. She takes it by faith. She believes in the word of Jesus. God has indeed given grace to the humble. And like the Syrophoenician woman, you and I must humble ourselves before the Lord to receive his grace. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. You see, it's a tragic truth. There are far too many examples in the Bible and in church history of people who start out seemingly humble and grow proud over time. And their pride destroys not only them, but it wreaks havoc on others. Perhaps the most notorious example is King Saul in the Old Testament. He began by humbly insisting that he was unworthy to be a king, that he was the least of the least of the clans of the least tribe, the tribe of Benjamin. But when he gained power, he gradually grew proud, started building monuments in his own honor, and eventually disobeying the Lord. But none of us is immune from the challenge of pride. And the antidote to pride is to remember that we are desperately in need of God's grace. And to receive his grace, we need to keep coming in humility and praying, Lord, heal my daughter, or whatever the need is. Ready to believe wholeheartedly in the word that Jesus gives us and faithfully respond. Well, I want to show you an example of a person who has been part of this church, I believe, his whole life. He now serves as one of our career missionaries on the mission field. And we're going to show a video of him sharing his most recent project of serving in Christ's name as a humble servant overseas. Now, if you're watching online, you're going to have 45 seconds 
of silence. That's not a technical difficulty because this is a sensitive missionary situation. Let's roll. Greg is simply applying the, the powerful word of Jesus. He was deeply moved by the plight of the Afghans last summer. And so when he came to our mission committee and asked for additional financial support for this project, we could joyfully give that money and invest in him and pray for him I encourage you to pray for him. But Greg and his team are not asking these Afghans, these desperate refugees, what their faith is. Most of them, I'm sure, are Muslim. They're simply responding to the fact that God loves every human being, regardless of their ethnic background, their faith background, and it's our job to show the compassion and love of Jesus Christ. Thank God for Greg Ballou and for his faithfulness. But here's the question for us. How can we practice humble, persistent faith? A faith that has the power to cast out demons and heal the sick. A faith that can also break down the prejudice in our own hearts. Who is God putting in your path this week where you can show the radical compassion of Jesus Christ? Test him in this. Pray, Lord, show me someone who needs your love this week. And then just love on that person. What could happen here in Boulder County if this church could catch a vision of Jesus' love that extends beyond the chosen people, that extends to every person of every tribe and tongue and nation. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your powerful example. And we also thank you for your powerful Holy Spirit who lives in us. Fill us with that spirit that gives us the gift of humility. Help us be persistent in praying. Lord, open our eyes to see the people that you have drawn into our path and help us to love on them so that your kingdom might grow and people might encounter the very God of the universe. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.